Today marks the first day of Holy Week. We call it Palm Sunday. And if you don't know why it's called Palm Sunday, you'll discover in just a moment. But it marks the days leading up to the crucifixion of of Jesus Christ. Let me take you back 2,000 years ago. Jesus had arrived in the town of Bethany, a town just two miles from Jerusalem, easy walking distance. And in Bethany lived Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. And some of you may remember that Lazarus was the one whom Jesus raised from the dead. Some of you will remember that Lazarus became famous in the land as the one who came out of the grave. Now, this was uh, right around the time of Passover. And one of the Jewish requirements is that all Jews go to Jerusalem to celebrate this great feast. And so Bible scholars estimate that there must have been something of somewhere near 3 million people in the city of Jerusalem itself. A huge number of people. And word was on the street that, in fact, Jesus would be coming to Jerusalem and with it would come his friend Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. And so you could get a feeling what it must have been like. These people who were there for the week, basically on holidays, taking part in the, the festivities, the festival, the, the, the feast, I guess is the right word. There was a lot of talk, a lot of discussion as to who Jesus was. Jesus had been going through the, throughout the land for, for three years, healing people, raising the dead He was healing the sick. He was delivering people from demons. There was a great excitement, a great delight in talking about Jesus. And now word was out that he was coming to Jerusalem for Passover and that Lazarus would be attending as well. In John chapter 12, Verse 10 and 11, it says this, So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well as Christ. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. In other words, they weren't happy that Lazarus was a testimony to the power in Jesus Christ. And they weren't happy about Jesus Christ either. Because they saw him as a threat to life as it was. Can I say this to you today? People always feel that way about Jesus. They always feel that he is a threat to life as it is. So many of us prefer the status quo. We just like life to go on as it is. Don't interfere. Don't interrupt. But I'm going to tell you that wherever Jesus shows up, life becomes radically altered. And that's exactly what the chief priests, the Pharisees, the scribes were worried about. They were worried about what Jesus was going to do to them, what Jesus would do to their lives. Isn't that interesting, isn't it? 
Because those of us who know who Jesus is and know what he's all about, we know that Jesus wants the best for us, not the worst for us. And yet here they are. They believed the worst. And it's strange to me that they would think the worst because Jesus was, in fact, healing sick people. He was raising the dead. He was feeding multitudes. He was delivering people of demons. Couldn't they see it? Couldn't they see who he was? Couldn't they see what he was doing? But they were afraid that Jesus would upset the social order, that he would upset the political order. They were afraid that he would cause Rome, who was occupying Israel at that time, he'd cause Rome to clamp down on them. Now I want to tell you this morning, before we go any further, Jesus has come to shake up your world. Jesus has come to change your life. And you need to understand that, or you don't really understand who Jesus is. So the chief priests are conspiring to kill Lazarus and to kill Jesus. Look what it says in John 12, verses 12 to 15. It says, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, say it with me. Say it one more time. One more time. That sounds a little bit more like it. And what else did they say? And... Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it as it was written. Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Neither Israel, nor the chief priests, nor the disciples understood that Jesus had come to deliver the world from sin, from death, and from Satan himself. They thought that, in fact, Jesus was coming to set up his throne. They thought that as Jesus was coming through town, that he was on his way to the throne of Israel. They were waving their palm branches, and they were taking their their cloaks off, throwing it on the ground so that the colt that Jesus was riding on wouldn't be walking over mere dusty roads. But they, they wanted that colt, they wanted their king to ride in on ground that was covered with their cloaks and with palm branches. They thought that their king was going to go to a throne. But my friends, understand this this morning. Jesus was not riding to a throne. Jesus was riding to the cross. Do you understand that today? Jesus had come to Jerusalem to prepare for his work on the cross And few understood that. I want us to take a look this morning at what the crowd was shouting to Jesus. I want you to see how what they were shouting to to Christ was was really a, a prophecy in their own mouths about what Jesus would do for them, even though they didn't understand it. They cried out, Jesus Savior. Did they, did they really say that? Yes, they did. Look what it says. They took palm branches, went out to meet him, and they shouted what? Say it again. Hosanna. Hosanna is a Hebrew word which means what? Save us. Save us, Jesus. They understood that 
That's exactly what the promised one would do. He would save them. Now, let's go back 2,000 years ago. Jesus enters Jerusalem with his disciples. He celebrates. He wants to celebrate the Passover with them. And in celebrating the Passover, he would be demonstrating to his disciples what he'd actually come to do. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, what is a Passover, first of all? Passover feast is one of the three, like as I said, the three pilgrimage festivals in which the entire Jewish population went to the Temple of Jerusalem to celebrate. Now, tomorrow, Monday, Jewish people all over the world will celebrate the first to seven days of Passover. And interestingly, we celebrate Passover as well, but we, under, we have, a, uh, we have a, an increased understanding of what the Passover is really all about. The Jews, as they start celebrating Passover tomorrow, will take, uh, have a meal very much like our communion that we celebrate with the bread and the wine. It's exactly the same, in fact. We'll be, we'll be taking that, that feast of bread and wine on Friday morning, 10.30, reminder for you to be here. And what that, what that bread represented was the, the, the flesh of the lamb, and the blood was the blood of the lamb. The Passover goes back to the time when Israel had been enslaved in Egypt for some 400 years. And as you know, if you, if you saw the movie, The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, how many saw that when they were children? I remember seeing it for the first time on a color TV. That was pretty amazing. Somebody, some of you remember those days when there were no color TVs. It goes to show you how old I am. What a thrill to see, to see what God did through his prophet Moses. We see the ten plagues or the nine plagues, first of all, and then the tenth plague that's coming. And Jesus, or God warns Moses that, that uh, he's going to be sending the death angel and that the firstborn of every family would be struck down, dead, unless, unless they took precautions to save themselves from death. And here's, here's what they had to do. They had to take a lamb. They had to put it to death. They had to take the blood from that lamb, and they had to put it on the lintel. That's that cross, member across, across your door frame, and then on each doorpost. Now, I didn't, I didn't fully understand the significance of this uh, when I was a, a child, but it took Marilyn Wedlake's mother. Uh, she was passed on now. But one day I was visiting with her, doing some work at her house. She made me a nice tomato and bacon sandwich, and then she said, I just want to share with you a little bit about what I'm going to be teaching my Sunday school kids. And I thought to myself, oh, all right. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to Bible school. I really know quite a bit, Mrs. Wedlake. But there, dear old Mrs. Wedlake, she, said, she proceeded to show me how the blood was applied to the lintel and then to the doorposts. Does anybody see that? What is that? It's the cross. Interesting, isn't it? That's exactly what Israel was called to do. Put the blood on the lintel and on the doorposts. And we see there 
a shadow of what's to come through Jesus Christ. Jesus became our Passover lamb. Did you know that? Jesus came to Jerusalem to go to the cross where he would take upon himself your sin and mine. And so when the people are shouting, Jesus, save us, save us, they didn't even understand what they were asking for. But notice this, Jesus came to answer their prayers. Isn't that amazing? And I just want to just point something out to you really quickly here. So often, don't you find yourself praying and asking God to answer your prayers? You ask God for certain things, and he answers your prayers in ways that you can't even imagine, ways that you wouldn't have you wouldn't have moved, but God knows what's best for us. And certainly God knew it was best for his people. And so he sent his own son who would shed his blood on the cross. His bleeding head, his bleeding hands, his bleeding feet. You see, this sounds, this sounds kind of gruesome, Pastor. Do, do people... In the year 2010, still really believe this? That's interesting you should ask that question because when I had our logo made, I went to the, the company that did it and they said, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us, tell us what you believe. Tell us what your faith is all about. And I proceeded to explain to him the message of the cross and how Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins. And he stood there Shaking his head, he said, you know what? I went to church all my life. Went to the Roman Catholic Church, went to catechism. And I didn't know that. I said, well, now you do. You understand the message of the cross. My friends, I'm going to tell you this this morning. This really is what Christianity is all about. You did not come to church here this morning just so I could tell you the ways that you, that you could have God's blessing in your life and everything would be well and you'll have no more problems. You've come here today so that I can share with you how you can have eternal life. And it's through Jesus Christ. I've come, I'm here this morning to share with you what you can do to receive life through Christ. And I'm going to tell you this morning, it comes through the Savior. They took their palm branches, went out to meet Jesus, shouting, Hosanna, save us. And you know what? In the heart of every human being, there's that understanding, if we're all honest. There's that understanding that we need to be saved. Somebody asked me the other day, when did you, uh, when did you become a Christian? In fact, it was uh, one of our young people wanted to talk to me about salvation. Just sat right here in the front row here. And I said, I was, I was eight years old when I understood that I needed Jesus in my life. I, I was eight years old when I knew that I, need to be, I needed to be saved. My parents were not church-going people. My parents were not Christians. But I understood at that young age that I needed God to take away my sins. And I'm going to tell you right now, we, we try to, in, in North American, North American churches, we do everything we can to try not to talk about sin and our need to be forgiven. But my friends, you know as well as I do that we need a Savior. We need someone to take away our sin. To wash away our guilt, our shame. And some of us have got horrendous stories to tell. Things that we have done in the past. Ways that we have failed God. Ways that we have failed our families. 
ways that we've failed our friends. But the good news of the gospel is that there is abundant grace at the cross to wash away your sins, to save you. And the people said, Hosanna. That's not all they said. They took the palm branches, went out to meet him, shouting, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is taken right out of the Psalms. Psalm 118, verse 26. It says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was a prophecy of the coming Messiah. And the people are now applying it to Jesus as the Messiah. They're recognizing that Jesus is Savior and that Jesus is Messiah. He is the anointed one of God, called by God to fulfill God's purposes here on this earth. Messiah simply means anointed one. It's also it's where we get the word Christ from. Christ is the Greek, which means anointed one. Messiah is the Hebrew, which means anointed one. Now, I'm going to tell you, over the, over the centuries, there are many who have claimed to be the Messiah. In fact, even in Jesus' day, there were those who claimed to be Messiah. In 4 BC, there was Simon of Perea, a former slave of Herod the Great, rebelled and was killed by the Romans. In 3 BC, there was Athronges, a shepherd turned rebel leader. He also claimed to be the Messiah. And then there are many, many others in, in the year, between years 440 and 4, 4, uh, 470 A.D. There was Moses of Crete. He can, listen to this. He convinced the Jews of Crete to attempt to walk into the sea to return to Israel. And uh, you can imagine what happened. <laughs> they, uh, they got wet and some drowned. And uh, uh, the history records say that after that happened, he disappeared and no one saw him again. There have been many who claim to be the Messiah. There have been people who claim to be Christians who, called, who claim to be the Messiah. There was Anne Lee of the Shakers movement. Anybody ever heard of the Shakers movement? We've got Shaker furniture made by Shakers, and some believe them to be truly Christian people. But it's, it's a fraud. They believed Anna Lee, the leader of the Shaker movement, to be the female Messiah. There was Bernard Mueller claimed to be the Lion of Judah and a prophet in possession of the Philosopher's Stone. He claimed to be the Messiah. There was Hong Chuan of China. He claimed to be the younger brother of Jesus. He claimed to be the Messiah. And I can tell you, person after person, how many remember Sun Meng Moon? Anybody know who he is? You've heard of him? He claims to be the Messiah. There's William Davis of the Latter-day Saints. He claimed to be the Messiah. There's David Koresh. Anybody remember David Koresh from Texas? He claimed to be the Messiah. There's Charles Manson, leader of the Manson family. He claimed to be the Messiah. There have been literally hundreds of people through the centuries who claim to be the Messiah. Now, you could say this to me this morning. Pastor, what makes Jesus different than the rest? If it's simply self-declaration, what's the difference? I'll tell you what the difference is, my friends. Is that all these other people have passed away and their life has had absolutely zero consequence. Except that there have been people who have died and have suffered because of them. But you take a look at Jesus the Messiah and you recognize that 2,000 years after he lived, there are over 2 billion Christians on the planet today doing good works in all parts of the world. Jesus literally transformed the world. And so we recognize him today as indeed the Messiah 
who fulfilled God's, prof- God's purposes here in this world. Israel looked at Jesus and they thought, at least some of them did, they thought he was the Messiah who was going to restore to Israel their former glory. As in the days of King David and King Solomon, when, uh, when Israel literally ruled almost the whole Middle East and was the wealthiest nation in the world at that time. They thought that's what Jesus was going to do. They thought Jesus was going to come and bring to them success and that they would be successful here in this world. Let me tell you something today. There's a false teaching in our land today, in North America, in the year 2010, that says that Jesus came to this world so that you could be a success. Well, if you understand success as being merely a a worldly kind of success, a success that happens here on this earth, then you don't understand God's plan. Because what God wants for you today is he wants you to be a spiritual success. He wants you to follow Jesus. And all who follow Christ, all who follow the Messiah, are a success. You've heard me say it before. I've had many, many funerals. And the saddest ones of all are those people who didn't follow the Messiah, whose lives, at the end of it all, were absolutely meaningless. When you follow the Messiah, my friends, you fulfill God's purpose for your life. That's what gives your life meaning. And you will never have meaning. You will never have joy. You will never have happiness until you learn what it means to submit to Jesus the Messiah. Then the people took the palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus Savior, Jesus Messiah, Jesus our King. I want you to recognize there, it said, Jesus found a young donkey, sat upon it as it was written. Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now, some people think that riding on a donkey's colt was a sort of a, a, a joke or a, maybe a negative thing, that, that this is not suitable for a king. But in fact, Hebrew, Hebrew theology, the donkey's colt was reserved for one who would be king. And so listen to me. Jesus, called the Messiah, called the Savior, he comes riding into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey's colt. It's not significant to you and me because we're living 2,000 years later. But understand this. To the people in Jesus' day, they fully understood what was going on here. They understood because they knew the prophecies that were, that were uttered th- hundreds of years before Christ ever would come. They knew what the prophecy said about the Messiah. We read in Zechariah 9.9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation. Listen to this. Gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. <laughs> Understand this this morning. When Jesus came riding into Jerusalem at Passover, riding on a colt. He was making a declaration to the chief priests, to the Pharisees, to the scribes, to his disciples, to the three million who were waiting for him in Jerusalem. He was making a declaration. He was saying, Israel, I am your king. I've come to set up my kingdom. There was no question about it. 
And I'm going to tell you this morning, Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a colt sent shockwaves through government. It sent shockwaves through the religious world. There was not a person who wouldn't have heard about this. Jesus was declaring himself as Israel's king. Jesus was declaring, I'm ushering in my kingdom. Now, I want to tell you something this morning, because a lot of people just don't get this about Christianity. They just don't understand this. You've got to understand this, or you will forever be in the dark. You'll forever be confused about what it means to be a Christian. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he did not ride to a throne. He rode to a, say it, a cross. And here's what Jesus calls you and me to do. Jesus calls you and me to follow him to the cross. To lay down our lives, to die. Jesus calls you and me to stop living for ourselves and start living for him. And start being active in the furtherance of his kingdom. This is why the Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, he says, however, I consider my life worth nothing. If only I may finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. My friends, here's the thing. You, if you don't get this and you're not going to understand this, and it will take faith for you to understand this. But Jesus says this in, in John 12, 25. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Listen to me. God has called you to die. He's called you to lay down your life. He's called you to say, Lord, I lay down my life and I'm yours. Use me however you want to use me. It means you no longer pursue your agenda or what you want. You now pursue God's agenda. You say, God, whatever you want, I'm willing to do it. Lord, I give you my life. Do you know today, in this world with 2.1 billion Christians, as far as Christ is concerned, that's not enough. How many know that today? The reason I know that is because the Bible tells me that it's not God's will that anyone should perish, but that everyone should have eternal life. And here's the thing. If you are a believer today, then you are being called by Jesus the Savior, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the King, to go and spread that good news, what Apostle Paul called the gospel of grace. He's calling you to share that good news with others. We are coming up to Easter weekend next Sunday. I'm going to ask you, first of all, come to the Good Friday service, take communion, and consecrate your life afresh. Come and lay down your life and say, Lord, I give you my life. I want to serve you with all my heart. And then I want you to, I'm asking you, 
to adopt the task that the Apostle Paul had, to testify to the gospel of God's grace. That simply means this, bring somebody to church. Invite your neighbor, invite family, invite friends to come and hear the message of God's grace. Because there's a whole wide world out there that's hungry and looking for truth. And Jesus said I, that he, he, he has come full of grace and truth. We have a video clip I want to show to you in closing. And I pray that it be a reminder to you to give your life to share this good news with others. God bless you.